Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. everybody. Welcome back to Crime Weekly. I'm Stephanie Harlow. And I'm Derek Lavasser. So today we are continuing on with the Gabby Petito case, but this is our last episode in this series. Derek and I both talked last night. We feel that with, especially with all the new information coming out, we could probably stretch this on for, what'd you say, six episodes? Um, Easily. Yeah, because there's so much. And, and now that, you know, now that Gabby and Brian are unfortunately both deceased, so much is coming out because I think people feel more free to talk and, and say things now that there's really no investigation to compromise. So there's just so much information coming and it's flooding out. And we may do an update podcast video uh, later down the line if something you know really groundbreaking happens. But I think we can wrap everything up today with this episode. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, there's a balance because you guys know that it's not out of the ordinary for us to to take a case and do it over four to six parts. Uh, however, there are, as we mentioned, there everyone's covering this case right now, and we don't want to be in a position where it's perceived that that's what we're doing, even though we we lengthen cases all the time. So we thought three was a nice a nice number for this case. And uh, full transparency, I have reached out to some people down in uh, Florida, some law enforcement officers who may or may not be involved with the case. And I'm hoping um, they're able to go on camera and maybe we can do an interview and get some of the questions that you guys have posed to us. And also some of the rumors and speculation that we've both seen put out there. Maybe we can kind of squash some of that as well. So I don't have high hopes for it, um, but you never know. Got to shoot your shot and see what happens. So the email has been sent. We'll see what happens. Yeah. And uh, I've seen a lot of comments, too, in the YouTube videos that we put out on this case. And people are like, oh, I'm surprised you didn't talk about this. Oh, I'm surprised you didn't talk about yes. this. Totally understand. <laughs> totally respect that. But there's just no way we can cover every tiny little detail. We kind of have to focus on what's important, what kind of will lead us to the answer of what happened here. And, and some of this stuff may seem important, but it just doesn't fit in anywhere if we're going to do this in three parts. So that's the that's right. thing. We want to make the people who are over here like, why are we stretching this on to six parts happy? And we also want to make the people who want all the details happy. Sometimes we just have to meet in the middle. And, you know, for me, we always have a purpose with these cases. It's not just to cover them for the sake of sensationalizing a tragedy. I really think we hit, you know, we drove home the whole point of why we thought it was important to cover this case sooner than later, which is the uh, the aspect of domestic violence, being aware of it, understanding that sometimes there's subtle cues, both as the victim and as people who are friends or family to the victim, for us to all be more cognizant of. And that's why I think we felt so strongly about covering it. Based on what I've seen from the feedback, that's really resonated with a lot of people. So we're going to do the Crime Weekly thing and go you know, see this through and catch you up as much as we can to where it is now. But I, I feel really good about how we covered it, the way we covered it, and the and the length of time we spent covering it. Okay, so when we last left off, Brian had left Wyoming 
and he was headed back to Florida. So on September 1st, Brian Laundrie pulls up to his parents' Florida home. He's driving the van that he and Gabby had been traveling in, but there's no Gabby. He doesn't he doesn't have her with him. Now, that following Friday, neighbors of the Laundry family observed Brian and his parents loading up their new camper. Apparently, his parents had recently just purchased a new camper. And then Brian and his parents were gone for that weekend. The Laundry's attorney, Stephen Bertolino, confirmed that the family had been camping at Fort DeSoto and that they returned home on September 7th. So was this where Dog the Bounty Hunter thought that they were hiding, where he said, Three people arrived at the campsite and only two people left. Was that the same place? Yes, that was the same place. And I think when we were we were tweeting about it, we even talked about it, I think on a live mm-hmm. where after Dog put this out, there were there there was some helicopter activity in the, the Fort DeSoto area that night. And it appeared to be like the sheriff's office helicopter going out there and kind of canvassing the area. But you never saw law enforcement really take a focused effort on that area and put, you know, actual manpower behind it. And I think that was because law enforcement officials did come out shortly after Doug made this claim and said, listen, you know, we haven't been doing everything perfectly, but we can tell you we have sightings of Brian Laundrie after this this date in question. So for that reason, we know that even though Doug may be right as far as, you know, three going in and only two coming out, we know that Brian was seen after that date. So therefore, the whole theory behind him still being there doesn't really hold much water. Exactly. Um, And even though we don't really know what was happening at the laundry home for the next several days after they got back from Fort DeSoto, I mean, besides the fact that that neither Brian nor his parents were responding to frantic calls and texts from Gabby's family who wanted answers about why they hadn't heard from the couple in so long, we do know that Brian was seen by detectives because they had people like camped outside of his house and watching him. And we're going to get to that in a minute. So Gabby's mother, Nicole, she said, quote, I texted Brian's mom that I was trying to get in touch with Gabby. I also texted Brian. I got no replies. I knew something was wrong. I felt something was off immediately. End quote. So right from the get, I remember following this case and hearing that Brian and his parents were not responding to Gabby's family when Gabby's family was like, hey, is Brian there? Like, have you heard from Brian? Have you guys heard from Gabby? They're just not responding at all. I thought that that was just so gross on the laundry's part, right? Yeah, there's a lot of speculation that's been out there as far as the laundry's involvement with helping Brian, you know, go wherever he wanted to go. Ultimately, we're going to get to where he is now. But, you know, their involvement, right? What they knew, what they didn't know. I don't think it's up for much debate that they clearly have phones, they clearly were getting the text messages, and they clearly chose not to respond. And I don't want to get ahead here, but my opinion on what they knew at that point was a lot. And they were they were purposely choosing not to respond to give Brian time to do whatever he needed to do before they went, you know, quote unquote public with this information about Gabby. So um it's very distasteful, disrespectful and uh, unethical, and moral, whatever you want to call it. Um, and there may actually be uh, a criminal element to it, you know, as we go forward, as we learn new things, depending on what law enforcement is able to confirm um, as far as them being legally liable. So we'll see how that goes. But I'm, I agree with you completely. Thank you. I'm so glad you said that because there is so much back and forth. Did Brian's parents know? Did they not know? To me, the fact that they were not responding to these calls and texts to me, that means that they knew. They knew that Gabby 
was not coming home. Otherwise, they would have answered and been like, hey, you know, sorry, Brian and Gabby got in a fight. You know, they split up. Um, you know, we haven't heard from her, but but that's just what Brian told us. The fact that they're not answering lets me know that they know she's dead, allegedly. And they, like you said, are trying to buy him time, trying to buy him time to figure out the next move, possibly to get away. Right there to me, that's this the first sign. And, and I think one of the most important signs that they knew way more than they claim to know. Yeah. And we know that Brian arrived home on September 1st. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that these text messages were definitely sent from Nicole to Gabby, uh, Brian's parents after September yes. 1st. So it was ample amount of time for Brian to explain what had happened out in Utah. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I agree with you. The fact that they're not responding. Um, again, you don't have to be an investigator to figure this out. Clearly, they knew their son was in a lot of trouble. They anticipated probably Gabby's parents reaching out to them and they they decided to not respond. What why the reason was, you know, maybe we'll find out. Maybe we won't. I have a strong suspicion we won't or we'll at least find out their version of it. That's probably about it. But I think, yeah, they definitely knew Brian had done something really bad and they were giving him a buffer to kind of figure out his next move. And these aren't strangers like Gabby's parents and Brian's parents weren't strangers. You know, they they'd spent time together. They were close. They were close enough to have each other's numbers and be able to reach out to each other. They were about to become in-laws, basically. So for you to just not respond to these people, it's like you said, disrespectful and very suspicious. I want to say this, too, because, you know, I'm not a fan of the laundries. I don't think many people are. I think that goes without saying, but I always try to put myself in in everyone's shoes as difficult as that may be. And as a father, I do ask myself the question. I don't think it's one you really can answer unless you're in that situation, but I really do wonder where my thought process would be if my daughter came home after a trip with her boyfriend and, you know, confided in me that, because listen, I don't think Brian came out and told them. I killed her and she deserved it. I'm sure he had this, you know, the violin out. He, you know, he made it seem like it was her fault. Or he said she it pushed. was an accident and he would an and act- he would be scared that he'd be blamed for it. Yeah. Correct. Mm-hmm. There was some violin while he was explaining the story to them. And so I wonder what the thought process is behind that. Because it's obviously as a parent, something you never expect to have to deal with. So now you're faced with a situation where you have this young, innocent girl who's been been killed or there was a tragic quote unquote accident and you have your son who you know is going to be the main suspect in this case. So where is the balance? You know, we always have this innate, you know, instinct to protect our children, but then we also know what's right and what's wrong. So I, I, you know, I'm not even going to put you under the, on the spot, but it's like, no, you I, can that's because a question. That's a, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, tell me what you think. Cause I truly I don't, don't know. I don't I know. Do. Well, I don't know either. And I've been in, okay. I've asked myself this question before. There was a case recently uh, where a, a cheerleader, a young girl in Florida, was murdered by one of her friends, Aiden Fucci. Um, and his mother clearly helped kind of cover things up. Like there was video footage of her washing blood out of his jeans, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I had to ask myself then, what would I do? Like if this was my son and I have a son and you know I love him more than anything in this whole world, mm-hmm. what would I do? And I can't yeah. I can't answer it. And I just hope to God I'm never in that position to have to. I would hope that I would do the right thing, but who knows? Yeah. It's a a tough one. Not saying I'm not giving them any, you know, out here because the law is the law and what's right and what's right and what's wrong is what's wrong. But it is an interesting 
ethical question that I think a lot of parents that are listening to this are probably asking themselves. Yeah. Well, Gabby was finally reported missing by her mother on September 11th, 2021. And that's when the timeline gets a bit fuzzy, as even CNN just recently reported that the timeline of Brian's disappearance still doesn't make sense. Former FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe told CNN that the Laundry family, quote, has conducted themselves in a very odd way that's generated a lot of suspicion from the beginning, end quote. Agreed. Very suspicious since the beginning. So when when Gabby was reported missing on the 11th, the Northport police went to the laundry home that same night to question Brian, obviously hoping to find some answers about where his fiance could be located. And uh, he invoked his Fifth Amendment rights. He he said, uh, I'm not talking. And he didn't even say this. The police were handed basically a pre-written statement from the laundry's lawyer, Stephen Bertolino. And it said that his client, Brian, was not going to be speaking to the police. And then later, Bertolino said to uh, the media, the reason I suggested that he doesn't speak to the police is because intimate partners are often the first people that police focus on. Uh, which is true. We know that that's true. You certainly know that that's true. We've seen it a million times. Scott Peterson, Chris Watts, um, a million times. It just so happens that those people I just listed were actually guilty. And that's probably why they were suspected. Uh, well, in a lot of cases, it is someone they you know, whatever happened to them happened at the hand of someone they knew. Exactly. You know I mean? that's so, so there's statistics to back up why that 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 process takes right. place. The, the people, well, women most often are are killed by somebody they know and an intimate partner, a boyfriend, a husband, etc. So it's it's very like you said, the, st- the stats are there for a reason. But I think that it was best for as the lawyer for Stephen Bertolino to say, don't talk to anybody because most likely he knew that there was something Brian had to hide. Yeah. I mean, we can't get into his head and we got to be careful. But yeah, I think, uh, you know, you're the last person with this young woman and, and you were out there in Utah where there was only you two in a van. And here you are driving back all the way to Florida. And I don't know what he shared with them. Obviously, we'll never know attorney-client privilege. Um, I think it's safe to say that he he was probably coming to his own conclusions as well. That's what I'm saying. Well and, yeah, I'm not saying yeah, he knew, yeah. but I'm saying yeah. like you're a lawyer. Yeah. You're a smart guy. You're familiar with the law. Yeah. And it's called it's called, called reasonable deduction, <laughs> yeah. right? He's, put, he's, he's being his own investigator and probably surmising a few things on his own. Yeah. And he probably said, hey, Brian, might be in your best interest not to say anything. You shut up. And and he never, Brian never talked to the police. And later, in response to public outrage, Stephen Bertolino said, quote, I have been informed that the Northport, Florida police have named Brian Laundrie as a person of interest in this matter. This formality has not really changed the circumstances of Mr. Laundrie being the focus and attention of law enforcement. And Mr. Laundrie will continue to remain silent on the advice of counsel, end quote. Like, yeah, he was the, obviously like the main focus and attention of law enforcement because he was the last one who saw her and then he didn't tell anybody where she was. You know, Stephen Bertolino does this thing constantly throughout this case since the beginning where he's like, well, you know, the police are only looking at him. So, of course, we don't want to talk. But like, where else would the police look, man? Where would they look? Brian was the last one with her. He had her van. (laughs) He would know where she was. Nobody else would. So if they're not looking at Brian, who the hell are they going to be looking at? They have nothing else to go on. There's no other leads. Yeah. I mean, I think when they went to the house, Truthfully, they probably went there with the intention of like, hey, let's just ask the boyfriend. I'm sure he knows right. where she might be. And then when they get the handwritten note or whatever the typed up note from his lawyer, it's only human to look at that and go, oh, man, this is going to be 
this isn't going to just be a situation where they broke up. There, there's going to be there's more to this more story here. because yeah. if he's not even willing to just say, yeah, man, when I left, she was over here. He's just like, here's your note. You know, this isn't going anywhere good. No. And um, the van, the van was taken into custody to be processed for evidence. And really nothing has been revealed about whether or not anything was found in the van. Um, Pat Diaz, he worked with the Miami-Dade Police Department for 35 years, and he believes that the van may be the key to proving what happened to Gabby. All we know from the authorities, all they released was that they had found some material in the van. They literally didn't say anything else. But I suspect, obviously, they know far more than what they've revealed, and they did find something that was of importance or connected to Gabby's death because otherwise they wouldn't have had a problem telling us what it was. So the crazy fact is, like I said, police in Northport, they never spoke to Brian. They were never even in the same room as he was. And that's crazy to me because at this point, especially as the days passed, is there something that law enforcement can do if you have a situation like this and you have a missing girl and you have one person who who probably knows where she is, but he won't talk to you? Like, is there some sort of way you can, um, you know, I don't want to say force, but convince him to is there some legal method you can use to get him to speak no no once they invoke the right to an attorney you can submit questions to the attorney the only time you're allowed to engage in conversation with them is if they initiate that conversation right they if they say hey you know speak to my attorney they invoke their right to have a legal representative present if they speak to anyone but again you there's really not much you can do they could have arrested um, him, way- right? But then, then they could talk to him, but they need some reason. E- even that, that they were arresting even that, him. once you arrest them, you read them their Miranda rights and they have the, the right to have an attorney present during any questioning and they can choose not to answer your questions, right? So it's the, it's the right against self-incrimination. So even after arresting them, that's the first thing you do is if you're planning on questioning them is you have to read them the Miranda rights. And then at that point, they have the option of whether or not to respond. Damn, that's crazy. Let's take a quick break before we continue discussing this. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, so it was reported that on September 14th, Brian told his parents he was driving to nearby Carlton Reserve. This is like a big nature area in Florida, and he was going to do some hiking. At least that was the initial date that we all heard. But later, Stephen Bertolino, the laundry's lawyer, he told police that the laundry's now believed Brian had actually left on September 13th. And this was just two days after Gabby was reported missing. So I really think that Brian was just hanging out at his parents' house, being like, how much time can I buy until somebody realizes she's gone and they report her missing and then the police are here. And then as soon as the police started showing up, he was like, "Okay." How much longer can I pull this uh, staying silent thing before you've got mobs at my house, like throwing rocks in my window and and being crazy out there? Because as we do know, there was a lot of protesters. So he probably said at that point, 
now it's time to make moves. But he waited. If Gabby hadn't been reported missing until September 20th or September 30th, I truly think he would have just hung out at his parents' house and waited for somebody to realize what had happened. Yeah, you know, again, this is speculation, but it does feel to me, and we had said this in the previous episode, that when you are the only person with the victim, you have to create a window of opportunity where something else could have happened to that victim that doesn't involve you. And so I'm going out on a limb here, but I'm thinking he was out there kind of thinking, what could he do to create that window and felt like the best thing he could do at that point was to completely remove himself from that state, drive home, be with his parents, go on a quote unquote camping trip because in his, you know, Gabby was still fine as far as he knew. And so that when police eventually came around, he could say, listen, when I left, she was fine. I've been home with my friends and family. Whatever happened to her must have happened while I was here. Really unfortunate situation, but you know, I'm, you know, I'm praying for her and her family, and and I think that's what his attention was originally. Obviously, due to Nicole's, you know, aggressiveness and and trying to FaceTime her immediately and calling and texting, she sped up the process and reported her missing pretty pretty quickly compared to what some families might do, and and I think that put a monkey wrench in Brian's plans. Yeah, because Brian didn't tell anybody else when he got back to Florida that he was there. It was just his parents that knew. He tried to keep it a secret from everybody else because if Nicole knew that he was back and Gabby wasn't, that's a huge red flag. I just don't understand why he didn't leave the van there and get a ride home, like take a bus or fly again. And then he could have said, oh, I don't know. She just she was mad at me. She drove off in the van. I didn't see her again. So eventually, after yeah. I tried calling her and she didn't answer, I just got on a plane and went home. I figured she was done with me. And I don't know what happened after that. That would have been so yeah. much better for him because when you show up back home with the van, but no Gabby, now it looks like you've left your your little girlfriend in a state she doesn't live in with no vehicle and no place to live. Right. And it made him look even more Way guilty. Way more guilty. Because cause, cause if, if she's not seen by anybody else, whether it's at a hotel, mm -hmm. a restaurant, whatever, it, it you can start to deduce when when she was killed and it's right around the time when he left. I really think this goes back to, again, the idea of whether this was premeditated or this was kind of a crime of passion. And I think all of this too points to that because in hindsight, as you're stating, and you're not a murderer, but you know, he could have made better moves to tactically put him in a position that was, it allowed for a more reasonable yeah. doubt. And he did things that made him look more guilty. And I, I do think that was someone who was not that intelligent, scared, um, and unsure of what to do and, and decided to just take the van because that's what he knew and drive home, which in hindsight, I'm sure he really regretted, or you know, based on what we're talking about right now. So, um, yeah, I, I think, again, all of this definitely speaks to the idea that this was a crime of passion and everything that happened afterwards was just kind of whatever the first thought that came to mind was he went with it. Yeah. That's stupid. Stupid. How do you know I'm yeah, not a murderer, yeah, man? That's one way to break you, it don't down. Don't make assumptions <laughs> about my murdering status. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, as far as I know, you as haven't far as you murdered know, anyone. Of course. Yes. Yes. So remember, they said he left on the 14th, but then later the laundries were like, mm, I think it was the 13th. And apparently Brian's father, Chris, went out to look for his son on the evening of September 13th when Brian did not come back from hiking in the Carlton Reserve. And it was actually the 14th when Chris and Roberta Laundrie went out looking for Brian. And that's when they found his Mustang that he'd been driving parked in an area outside of Micah Hatchie Creek Environmental Park. And that's part of Carlton Reserve. So the car had this abandoned vehicle notice on it. 
um, which basically meant the police had passed it just sitting there for longer than they thought it should have been. And then they left a notice like, you know, your car is going to get towed and you're going to pay a fine if you don't take it out of here. And abandoned vehicle tax. Yeah. So the laundries returned the next day to drive the car home. Now, Stephen Bertolino has publicly stated that the laundries did call the police and let them know that Brian did not come home on the 13th. He claims that he made the report to the FBI himself, but Northport police claim they had no information that Brian was missing on the 13th, and they believed that he was still at his parents' house the whole time. Bertolino also made a statement that I know you find to be telling, where he said, quote, What I can tell you is that Brian was very upset when he left, and Chris conveyed to me several times that he wished he didn't let him go, but couldn't stop him, end quote. So what does that say to you? Yeah, we talked about it, you know, just in our normal conversations every day that we have. And I'm going to say something that may be controversial for some, but understand I have no skin in the game, so I'm just telling you what I truly believe. Everything we've said already as far as this kind of being a crime of passion, Brian showing up at their house, Chris and Roberta's house, and explaining to them that something happened to Gabby. Again, being reasonable people, they could probably see based on knowing their son better than anyone on this planet that he was lying to them, that something more had happened out there and that their son had probably killed his girlfriend. And as time passed, as the, the, the you know it started to heat up, the police were coming by, lawyers were involved. Brian was probably in those four walls, panicking, pacing the floor, freaking out, telling Chris and Roberta that I'm going to go to jail for the rest of my life. I'm going to jail for this. There's no way out of it. You know, and I'm just giving you the minimal version was probably a lot more uh, emotional than that. And there were probably points where he said, I'm just going to kill myself. I'm just going to kill myself. He may have even said, you know, I don't deserve to be here. I'm again going out on a limb, but at minimum he was panicking. His parents could see that. And I do believe the lawyer, this is one of the few things I do believe in that Chris genuinely knew his son was in a position, in a state of mind where he could harm himself and they wanted to keep an eye on him. And Chris, uh, and Brian um, kept wanting to leave. And eventually at some point, probably at the pleas of Roberta and Chris not to leave, Brian did. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I do believe that that is true and that that was the point where Chris and Roberta probably lost contact with Brian Laundry. I think they knew what what Brian was going to go do. I really do. And that's where it comes back to being parents where you know your son's not in the right state of mind and he's probably going to harm himself, but there's only so much you can do. And they let him go. And I'm sure, you know, even though their son most likely is a killer, I can't help but believe that they're probably still very upset oh, that their son is, is no, absolutely. no longer here. I mean, like you said, it's not like I'm a part of the laundry family no. fan club, but I can I can understand as a parent, this child that you raised for over 20 years, you celebrated Christmases with, you know, tucked him into bed at night, changed his diapers. Yes. <laughs> whether whether or not he did something you know, horrible, which we believe he did or, but that's their son. Like he's gone now and they, they need, they needed time to grieve. And, uh, it's just an unfortunate situation. But do you think that they, they did call the police and tell them Brian was missing? Like they said they did because Northport police says no. So I read between the lines right there. And there's a thing called deconfliction. And a lot of the times when you (laughs) have two agencies, (laughs) multiple agencies working together on a case, you're supposed to deconflict. And what I think happened is a pretty simple explanation. 
The laundry's lawyer called the FBI. The FBI not didn't the North contact Police. Northport Police and let them know. There's, so Northport Police is, is that saying, common though? Like, why would the FBI not tell Northport Police your suspect is missing on the run? Not only does it happen, I'm not going to say it's common, but there is an ego aspect to this, right? You have the local police who probably don't have a lot of crime out there or whatever, and here come the big bad FBI agents. And now they're taking over your crime scene because you're not capable of doing it. So in to me, and I could be wrong, I kind of read it as Northport police coming out and saying, hey, we had no record of it. So one, we're telling you the truth as far as we're concerned, but also I guess the FBI didn't have a phone to pick up and say, hey, by the way, we got a report of this. I think it was kind of a little bit of a dig at the FBI, like, hey, thanks for letting us know that because that would have been useful information. I don't know. That's how I, I read know. it. That's yeah. how I read it. But I do think the attorney's telling the truth because obviously it can be corroborated. I Proved, think that he yeah. did call the FBI. And I think the FBI just didn't call the Northport police. Kind of messed up. And I, I do think there's a lot of damage control going on with the Northport police right now, too. Because, of course. Yeah. And I mean, they know that they know that the hammer's coming. Yeah, you could see them. You can see them even now scurrying around, especially after what we're going to talk about about next, which I think, you know, what's coming. But oh, they're yeah. oh, super yeah. trying to cover their asses right now. And and I don't know if they can. <laughs> well, you know, and before you even get into it, because, you know, I just want to put it out there. And I say this. I've said this on national TV. No case is perfect. There are mistakes made. The, the the objective of law enforcement is to mitigate those mistakes and make sure that no mistake is made that could ultimately jeopardize the case. But we are human. And just like when you're working in a business environment, little errors are made along the way and hopefully they're caught and rectified without causing severe damage to whatever you're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. uh, law enforcement is no different. Um, so I don't expect law enforcement to be perfect, but I do expect them to mitigate those errors so that a family of the victim is not left with unknown answers because of your errors. Mm -hmm. I don't know, man. It, it, yeah. It, no, listen. I know. I know. But the, the, it, it happens. Yeah. But I mean, now, like with with Brian dead, <laughs> the general public is looking for somebody to blame. And that yep. has a lot to do with it, too, I think. So I think that if if Brian had been taken into custody and he was there to answer for what he had done, nobody would be looking at the Northport police right now and, and you know, being up in arms. But because of the fact that under their watch, Brian managed to just drive away from the house and not come back. And now they're they're looking for somebody to blame. They're looking for somebody to take yep. the heat. Everything I just said is uh, is obviously I believe it, but I will also say. Uh, them allowing their their main suspect, although they weren't calling him that at that point, to escape. And, you know, what we know is that he didn't go far. However, what if he did? Mm -hmm. What if he I took know. that opportunity to go to Me Mexico like you suggested? Yeah. That is one of those mistakes that I was referring to that you don't want to make. Mm -hmm. So all of that said, as far as I me prefacing that it happens, this is one of those things that as a law enforcement agency can't happen. I agree. It can't happen. Police spokesperson Josh Taylor said, quote, we were certainly pressing hard to get information from the family through traditional means. We were working with the best intelligence on what we thought we had at the time, working with the family who refused to cooperate in the investigation, end quote. It was also reported that the Northport police chief tweeted at Stephen Bertolino, telling him that they needed his help to find Gabby and arrange a conversation with Brian, but the department never got a response back from Bertolino. Maybe they should not have been trying to reach him on Twitter. On September 16th, the police chief was asked during a press conference if he knew where Brian Laundrie was at that moment, and he answered that he did. 
And remember, Brian left on September 13th, so technically no one knew where he was at that point. Josh Taylor claims that the police thought Laundry was at his house until September 17th, at which point Brian's parents agreed to finally talk to the police, and that's when they informed them that their son had been gone for days. Now, this may be explained by new information that's recently come out. Apparently, investigators who were tasked with watching the laundry home had made a rather large mistake. Police said they saw Brian drive away from the house in the Mustang on September 13th, and they saw him drive the car home on September 15th. But now they have admitted that it probably wasn't Brian driving the car home on the 15th. It was his mother, Roberta. So this new revelation has started a finger-pointing game between the Northport police who say that this mix-up was a direct result of lack of cooperation from the Laundries, and this happened from very early on. And Stephen Bertolino, the Laundries attorney, he says the police should have known that they should be following someone they had under surveillance. I tend to agree with both of them, both the police and Brian's parents contributed to this mistake. But I do feel that if Brian had driven away from the house on the 13th, why didn't the police follow him? Yeah, so there's a couple things to unpack here. Uh, First off, as you already pointed out, Brian, his family, and the attorney were basically offering zero cooperation. The minute they tried to ask Brian, probably from a, a place of you know, honesty, the police were like, hey, we just want to know where to start looking for Gabby. And he hit him with the note. So right then and there, they know this is the type of person they're dealing with. This is what this is the resistance they're going to get. Not only will he not speak with us, but he's not even going to give us a, a, a jumping off point where he last saw her. He's not giving us anything. So I know what you said. Maybe they shouldn't be communicating with uh, the lawyer through Twitter, but I'm assuming they tried to communicate with him, you know, directly, maybe through email, whatever it may be. They weren't getting a response. And yet it appears that Brian's attorney had no problem going on social media, doing these interviews. He wanted the limelight. So I can I can see myself as a fly on the wall inside the police station going, this guy wants to make this in the public eye. He's trying to get some name recognition out of this case. Let's put him on blast on social media. Now, so as a last resort, because they couldn't get a hold as of As a last resort. Okay. Like, hey, hey, buddy, you like using social media? Well, I guess that's your way of communicating. Let's communicate with you that way. I'm sure it wasn't just a social media person who just decided to put this out there. It was probably a strategic decision to try to force his hand in a legal way of saying, hey, now we're putting you out there. Now, we don't have to say whether we agree with it or not. I think that was the mindset. As far as the surveillance itself, I have had the opportunity to track and surveil and follow hundreds, if not thousands of people in different styles of investigation, whether it was narcotics, uh, uh, you know, potential persons of interest in a homicide, whatever it may be. When you conduct surveillance for these individuals, especially if they're inside a household, you are not only conducting surveillance on that said person, you're conducting surveillance on anybody, including their significant other, their parents, whoever's living in that household. So whether they believe that it was Brian or his mother, they at that point should have followed Roberta to her destination and back. No, and it was Brian. Had, it was Brian who left. So what they saw was Brian leaving on the 13th and then he disappears. And then Roberta drives his car back from Carlton Reserve after they find it with the, you know, the notice on it. So it was him who left, not her. She drove it back. Right. So that being the case, yes, they should have followed the whole whole time. And secondly, if they were following Roberta and Chris the whole time, they would have quickly identified that the person returning home on the 15th was not Brian. So clearly the surveillance tactics that were implemented were not to the standard that they should be. There's no excuse for it. I know in you know them coming out and, and admitting to their faults doesn't make the situation 
any better whatsoever. Um, however, you know, it is what it is at this point. And we know where Brian went. Yeah, I'm not I'm not trying to put all of this on on the shoulders of the Northport police, obviously. But if you're if you're there to follow somebody and surveil them, then do that. It seems like these dudes just sat in the car and played Candy Crush. <laughs> While Brian and Roberta and Chris came and went from that house without any anyone knowing where they were going. So Brian leaving that day on the 13th and then he's gone for two days and they don't say anything. They're not like, hey, this dude hasn't been back for two days. They just wait for him to come back and it's not even him. It's his mom. And then they don't even follow him to see where he's going. He could have been doing something related to Gabby. He could have been going on a payphone, calling somebody, trying to get a message out. And then they could have done that. Yes, they could have followed him into the woods, stayed out of sight so he didn't see them. I don't know. But something more than what they did. And then when Roberta comes back, right, um, <laughs> Josh Taylor, he's the information officer for the Northport Police. He said that Roberta and Brian were built kind of the same. <laughs> and they were actually. They, were not. they, they do kind of. They do. <laughs> there's, there's photos literally that I've, I've seen. I've seen where, the photos too, man. She's yeah. shapely like a woman. You know, she's got hips. Brian's straight up and down. Come on, man. Yeah. I'm saying size and stuff. I'm not, again, I'll leave it at this. I'm not making excuses for them. They've already admitted they screwed up. You know, it doesn't make it any better. It doesn't make it okay. It shouldn't happen. But I don't think they were purposely trying to screw the case up so that later no. they would have to look like idiots I don't think they were in, either. into the entire yeah. world. So they are humans. I'm not saying it's justified. I'm not saying it's okay. But I again, when the surveillance officers, the detectives were sitting there, I don't think they said, hey, you know what? Today we're going to lose sight of the who we believe is a suspect in a murder. But, you know. It is what it is. Let's keep playing our video games. You know, I think it was just more of not being trained, maybe not being uh, very experienced in, in trailing someone, you know, how to use different techniques to follow them without being detected. I, I don't I can't get into their mind. We might never know. I'm sure Northport police is doing whatever they can to minimize the amount of exposure to this, because obviously it's something that they're very embarrassed about, as they should be. It made the chief look like an idiot. That's never a good thing to make the chief look like. But idiot. you know what this might do is it might prompt this police department to do further training and and brush their detectives up on surveillance techniques. And all these mistakes they made will hopefully be learned from. And so there's a positive there, I suppose. Let's hope. All right. We're going to take a quick break and then come back and talk about what happened next. So as soon as the public found out that Brian Laundrie had left the house and he hadn't been seen in days, there was obviously an uproar. And on that note, let's talk about the protesters camping out at the laundry home before we continue on with the timeline at hand. When news reports of Gabby's disappearance hit the internet and television and the bizarre details of her disappearance emerged, everyone was waiting for the laundry family to make some statement that would sort of clear things up. But obviously, as we know, they never did. Instead, they allowed their lawyer, Stephen Bertolino, to speak for them, but he wasn't saying much of anything of substance either. There were some protesters around the house at that point, but the majority of them showed up in droves after Brian's disappearance, and it got really ugly. So Josh Taylor, the uh, public information officer, he was actually at the laundry home on the night of September 17th. And he said when he went in, there was like a handful of reporters outside. But within no time of him being inside the house, these reporters were suddenly joined by like an angry mob. And these protesters were like waving signs with Gabby's face on them. They were shouting through bullhorns, where's Gabby? One of the women protesting outside the house told reporters, quote, 
We see this couple all over social media documenting their trip across country, and he says she's the love of his life. If that's the case, why not speak to the police if the love of your life is missing? End quote. This is a very valid point. I I understand why these protesters were here, because everybody got very invested in Gabby, because so much of her was on the Internet. But if the Laundry family thought that this initial uh, wave of protesters was bad, they only had to wait a few more days to see how bad it actually could get. On September 19th, after searching through Grand Teton National Park in Wyoming for the missing 22-year-old, law enforcement announced that they had found a set of remains that they believed belonged to Gabby Petito. Her cause of death had been strangulation, it was ruled a homicide, and she had been dead at least three weeks. The coroner who performed Gabby's autopsy was Teton County Coroner Brent Blue. He sat down and he talked to Anderson Cooper about the autopsy results, and he mentioned that Gabby had died due to strangulation via a throttling. And it was manual, meaning whoever did this to her used his or her own bare hands, not a ligature or an instrument of any kind. Have you heard this term before? Throttling? No, I haven't. I'm assuming it means, uh, you know, elevated pressure as they're going like, throttling up. So it started yeah, off right. with maybe yeah. a soft, a soft pressure, and it obviously, as whatever was happening, the the offender um, strengthened their grip around her neck. Yep, I think you're absolutely right. And uh, Professor Joseph Scott Morgan, he's a forensic expert and former medical examiner. He told NBC that the way Gabby died was one of the most intimate homicides that can occur. He said, "Quote: My opinion is that this is a face to face event." This is very intimate. Anytime you have a asphyxial death, it's one of the most horrific things that can happen because there's literally less than a foot of clearance between the perpetrator. He would have looked her in the eye as he literally squeezed the life out of her, end quote. And this is very, this is sobering when you think about it because when I was reading it, I was like chilled. And I thought, you know, Gabby, probably her and Brian had their fair share of issues, but she most likely never thought this man's going to kill me. So, when he starts strangling her, there's got to be a point where she's like, okay, you know, he's getting really violent. He's going to let go. And there had to have been a time during the strangulation where she realized he was not going to let go. And she looked into the eyes of the man that she thought she loved, who she was going to marry, and he was killing her. And she knew that he was killing her and there wasn't anything she could do about it. Yeah, you, you said it all. You know, I don't want to keep, you know, nailing it down here. But again, it all goes back to a crime of passion where maybe he's choked her before. And like you said, it was one of those things where the the choking started off, you know, I don't want to even say subtly, that's the wrong word, but you should never have your hands around anyone's neck. But it started off where maybe it was just him doing what he's done in the past, which is to grab her by the throat to show her, quote unquote, who's in charge. And that the, the, the tightness of his grip strengthened. And, and she probably realized this is not going to end the way it usually does. And that's all indicative of what the autopsy revealed. And uh, and again, I'm sure they would come out and say that strangulation as a means of killing someone is usually not premeditated. Usually you'll find another means of doing it to make it look as if it was an accident. It's kind of hard to accidentally strangle yourself. So, again, it's one of those things where he was upset with her. She was upset with him. They were fighting. And based on what we have from the one incident that was reported to police, this was something where, you know, and nothing against Gabby, but they were both. They were both physically violent towards each other. She was hitting him. He was hitting her. I don't think it was the only time that had ever happened, the one that we had on footage. This was probably something that's been going on behind the scenes for a very long time. And on this particular occasion, um, it got worse. And for every reason you just said, as far as Gabby realizing in that moment, oh, my God, he's going to kill me. 
uh, and not having the strength to break that hold at that moment. Uh, and I would even go out to as far as to say that this is probably a situation where they were in the van when it happened. I don't think this they were out in the woods. This is probably something where they were arguing in the back of the van. He was on top of her. She's unable to kind of retreat because she's on her back. And there's really not much you can do at that point. You're literally between the hard substrate of the van and him with his weight on top of you. I don't care how strong you are. Um, that's a very difficult situation to get yourself out of. But would you agree in order to choke somebody to death like that with your bare hands face to face, somebody that you know and allegedly love, that takes a, a lot of rage, a lot, like blinding, a lot of rage. blinding rage, right? Yep. Blinding rage. And, you know, from I've never had a crime of passion that I've personally investigated, but from what I've read and, you know, from the research I've done on other cases, when it, whether it was in school or in the academy, it's something where you're almost, they call it like temporary insanity, where like you black out and you don't even realize what you're doing. And I'm not giving him a defense here. So I hope nobody takes it that I way. I think you mean that like you li literally, your, your mind is, is shot. It's not like you're not yourself. You become a different person. And by the time you realize what you've done, it's already too late. And we did talk about that the other day because I last time we recorded, I said, I'm still going back and forth on whether this was premeditated or not. But when I was on the phone with you the other day, I said, you know, I, I'm, as I'm thinking about it more, I don't think it was. I think that this literally was just they were having a fight. Who knows what was said or what happened to 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 bring him to that level of anger and rage? We We will never know, most likely. But something happened. And I think he snapped. He did it. He panicked. And then he drove home. And, and as we know, for those of us who have looked at his Spotify playlist, he was in all these sad love songs on the way home, driving home over and over on repeat. Um, so he clearly was like torn up about it in a way, but not torn up enough to turn himself in and face justice for what he had done. So I don't know. I don't know what that says about him. Yeah, no, I mean, people, obviously nobody's a fan of, of Brian Laundry for, uh, variety of reasons and i'm not even just talking about this incident but even like his behavior with the police afterwards yeah. like have some respect for the family but you know be a man speak up for what you did and, and you know answer to the you know consequences that you're going to face but it, it does happen and that's why we're here we're talking about it and again this goes back to episode one and episode two of this case where we ha you have to get out of the exactly. situation before it elevates to this point exactly. and this is not victim blaming this is for this is for anybody because there's a lot of people that have been in the situation, man or woman, where if he, if he, if it starts off with just arguing and then one day he throws something at you or one day he pushes you, don't think that's where it's going to be capped. Yeah. It's going to progressively get worse because if you stay around for that, they will take the liberty of doing more in the future. And again, you're not going to fully know what they're capable of until they do it. And it might be too late. And that is what happened here. So that's why we're trying to use this case as an opportunity to educate and inform others to remove themselves from the situation before it happens. And I'm going to tell you guys something really quick without saying her name. I received a DM today uh, on Instagram from a woman who wanted to thank you, Stephanie, because she just removed herself from a, a very long relationship. On this date, she filed a court order where she basically removed herself from that relationship because of what was said on this podcast and she wanted to thank us. And uh, it means a lot because that's why we're doing this. That is the sole purpose for covering this case when we're covering it. And so if anybody out there, hears this, this story, here's what happened on the day of Gabby's death. And that's the reason that gets them out of the situation they're in now, then all of this was worth it. We're not doing it to sensationalize it. We're not doing it to sound like a better story. 
We're doing it for the exact reason of what I just laid out to as far as somebody seeing this and it resonating with them where they, they get the courage to leave that situation and go on and live their lives and not end up in a situation where we're talking about them on this podcast. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure she's listening. I'm so proud of you. That takes a lot of strength and I'm so proud of you. But the fact of the matter is if you're with somebody and they hit you or they hurt you, it doesn't stop. It's not a one-time thing. It never is. It escalates just like Derek said. And, and I always tell my kids, they come home and they complain about other p- kids at school. They're doing this, they're doing that. And I always say, you can't control other people. You cannot change other people's behavior. All you can do is change your behavior and how you react to things. So it's not victim blaming to tell somebody who's a domestic abuse victim, get out of that relationship, even though it's hard, even though it's easier said than done. It's not victim blaming at all. But the second someone lays their hands on you, it's done. It's over because it will only get worse. It never gets better. So apparently during Gabby's autopsy, Dr. Blue used a full body CT scan or a CAT scan, and this would give more in-depth information about what had happened to Gabby better than a simple x-ray, which is what is more commonly used in autopsies. And Professor Morgan said, quote, now you go CT or CAT scan, you're talking three-dimensional. Now you can appreciate height and depth and thickness and all sorts of things, and that is a powerful tool at trial, end quote. So I think this is how they figured out the different amounts of pressure, the throttling strangulation, which had ended up killing Gabby. Now, the interesting thing is Gabby's body was found not far from where the Bethunes, the YouTuber family, had spotted Gabby's van on the side of the road on August 27th. It is said to have been just a few hundred yards away. There were reports that uh, initially where her body had been found, this mysterious stone cross and flowers had, you know, sort of been found near her body and that set the internet ablaze with rumors. But during an interview with Dr. Phil on October 6th, Gabby's stepfather, Jim Schmidt, he said that he was the one who had uh, put the cross there. And he also claimed that Gabby's remains had been found near the remnants of a fire ring where a camp may have been set up. So do you think that that Brian and Gabby had camped out in that area, possibly, because Jim Smetch said that there was a a fire ring or a ring that looked like a a campsite may have been set up there and a fire was set. So do you think they left the van, went to that area where she was found, camped out as if they were going to camp out for the night? Sometimes they did spend the night in the tent outside of of the van. And that's where it happened. I mean, it would be foolish for me to say it's not possible. You know, it's, it's it would be foolish for me with the lack of information we have as far as the specifics of what was found out there to say, oh, no, no way. You know, I think they were at that restaurant earlier in the day. There was an argument. They were already on bad terms. Uh, is it possible that they went out to this that area and camped? Yes. Is it also possible that where he brought her body was an area that had been camped in by others before they got there? That's also very possible. Uh You know, for me, I don't know if they were having an argument that ultimately resulted in what it did. If in the middle of that argument, they would say, you know what, let's go camp out under the stars. I think that's a good night. I I think whatever happened at the restaurant trickled over. And while they were still in the van in those tight quarters, Mm -hmm. unable to walk away from each other in that moment, that is what led to where we are today. That's just just my opinion on it. Um, I think it's more likely That because of those close quarters and probably what escalated inside that van led to her death, led to her killing. And then ultimately, Brian transported her body in the, you know, under the dark cover of night to an area that might have been camped in before. He might at that time of night not even seen the firing. Yes, exactly. So that's 
that's where I'm, I am on it, but it doesn't mean it, that they couldn't have camped out there the day before or something like that. And he knew that location and that's why he put her there. I don't know. He might've said, Hey, I'll put her near something that looks like it's been, you know, occupied by others. So maybe it could put speculation on someone else as a possible suspect. I don't know. Well, it wasn't far from the van. Gabby's mother, Nicole, said the area that her daughter was found wouldn't have even been a five minute walk from where the Bethunes saw the van. So right around the corner, I think it could have gone down either way. But more than likely, you're right, because if they were out in the wilderness and they're in the tent, you know, maybe she gets up and walks away or they like start arguing outside because you don't want to scream at somebody when you're standing in a tent. But I think that it probably happened in the van and he brought her out there because it wasn't far no. And we're going to put up a shot of it right now. John will definitely put up the photo of it right now. If you're on audio, Google it. It's very easy to find. But for anyone who's watching on YouTube, as I'm speaking right now, you're seeing it. Um, it's not very far at all. It's just, and again, you can see where the van was located on the YouTube video and, and where her body was found in relation to that, that known location. And it, it does line up with everything we're saying as far as the fight happening earlier in the day, the odd text message that night. The van being seen there, and as you guys are going to see in the YouTube video from part two, the door clearly slams shut as the YouTubers are pulling up. So something at that point was going down for sure or was about to go down, and it seems like he didn't go far to remove her body and try. What I want to know, not to skip around, is... You know, what attempts were made to hide her body? Was I was she just, just thinking that. I don't think that she, yeah, I don't was, think there was any attempts made to hide her body. Th- yeah. I think she was just left there. Yeah. I think you might be right. I think you might be right. And and maybe that was because he wanted to make it look like an accident. I don't know. Or he freaked out. Um, he just freaked out in panic. Yes. You know, he just, his main goal at that point was like, my girlfriend's dead. I can't sit here and look at her body. I've got to get it away from me so I can think about what my next step is. So he, he went out there, he dropped her. He walked away as fast as he could. And then he starts, you know, sending out weird texts about Yellowstone and and all this stuff, hoping to throw people off the scent. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's going to be really fascinating to find out down the road if that's the case, which I think that's what everyone believes. But, you know, did he make an attempt to hide her body? Did he dig a shallow grave and try to bury her? And it was dogs that ultimately was able to pick up on her scent and find dirt that had been disturbed and appeared to have been dug up and then reburied. So, That's going to be fascinating. Again, it's not going to change the outcome of the case too much. But again, just to get in the mind of what happened that day, I think any answers for Gabby's family would be good ones because they they really, as much as it probably kills them, I'm sure they want to know what happened that day. Again, even though it's going to just break their heart again and again and again, I think it's only reasonable for a parent to want to know what happened to their child. Before we continue, let's take a quick break. We'll get right back into it. Okay, so once the news got out that Gabby had been found, that her remains were found and she was no longer alive, protests outside the laundry home intensified. People were walking right up to their door, banging on it, saying, like, come out. One man can be seen on a video yelling, you guys like to strangle people with your bitch-ass son. It's time to wake up and face the consequences. Another man was yelling taunts into the house, saying, come on out, you dirty laundries, (laughs) while another one warned them that they would be back soon. And I actually um, found this video and I'm going to have John put it in audio and for YouTube, both versions, because you can still hear what's going on in this video. But it's kind of um, it's kind of scary. And and this is not just the laundries who are being affected, right? It's everybody who lives around them. 
Can you imagine living next door to the laundries and you got protesters camping out on your lawn and just constant news vans in front of your house? It had to have been very grating. And at the end of September, one of the neighbors of the laundries was charged with battery after throwing a punch at a protester. And I know we've discussed this amongst ourselves, but I think it's very important to talk about it here. What's your take on the protesters thing? I know we all have feelings that the laundries may have aided Brian in getting away. We we feel that they may know more more than they say they know, but we actually have no hard evidence of that. It's just, you know, I don't even know if you could call it circumstantial. I think that their hunch is based on very good um very good information that they knew more, such as the fact that they weren't answering texts and calls after Brian got home. But we don't really know that. So what do you feel about what these protesters were doing at the laundry's house? Before I answer, let's just play it right now. You guys can listen to it or hear it, and then I'll respond. Okay, so yeah, I'm on board with you in a lot of ways. You know, I understand that normal citizens were trying to help Gabby and her family to get them answers, and they had a very strong suspicion, rightfully so, that Brian and his family knew more than they were saying. So on one hand, you can say, okay, I get it. But here's the issue that I have with it, with these protesters. Some of them are there acting appropriately, you know, within the confines of the law and are therefore legitimate reasons. They really just truly want to help without impeding the investigation. Then there are some that are mixed up in it that are looking for it for content, are looking for it because honestly, they're insane. And they, you know, they're the type of people that would take you know, the law into their own hand and and shoot these people as they walk out of their homes. And what concerns me going forward is in this case, it was pretty clear cut and it looks like those protesters were right. But what if they were wrong? You know, we talk about the justice system and you're innocent until proven guilty. And in some cases, the protesters protest for that. And in this case, they had already convicted Brian and his family before there was any, before Gabby was even found. So, I I don't love it. And I kind of said that, I think, in our first episode where you have Cassie, Brian's sister. We talked about that. um, We actually haven't talked about Cassie at all during this series. Was that on the live? live. So on the live, there's a video. You guys can check it out where Cassie and her husband are on the front lawn. I'm not going to get into whether she was lying or telling the truth. That's why I didn't mention her in the series because it's so irrelevant to me. It's so convoluted. And it's just. Right. And and we will learn more. I'm sure it's going to come out. But the reality was you had people who, even if she said something incriminating to them, yes, I'm sure law enforcement was watching it, but could it be used in a court of law? Probably not. So it's one of those things where they didn't, it didn't happen in this case, but you can actually have a situation where it hurts the investigation. So I would say it's a great opportunity to use social media, to use your voice, to get out there and 
put pressure on the family. Do I think camping out on their front lawn and throwing dirty uh, laundry baskets <laughs> on their lawn is the right way of going about it? Nah, man. I don't. Nah. I don't. It's, it's weird. Don't. There's a difference between being right and doing the right thing. Just because you're right doesn't mean- Great way yeah, of saying d- it. Just because you're right you're, doesn't mean you're doing the right thing, right? And we have to constantly uh, check in with ourselves and say, I'm right in this. I feel justified in this, but is what I'm doing right? They're different things. And but I do I do agree. Like some of the people that were there were not there because they cared about Gabby or wanted to find her. They were there for their content. I talked to my friend John and he said one person, I don't know who it is, but had gone to the laundry's house and recorded herself in front of it. And then later when she was like back in her hotel or something, she basically admitted, like, I just did this for views. And and that's that therein lies the problem because we all care about Gabby, but what they're doing, what they're doing, throwing things, just doing it for content, it's it's going to harm not only the investigation possibly, but the true crime community because y'all out there are making us look bad. Like we are legitimately trying to help. We're trying to take something good from this case. We're trying to have something positive come from it. We're talking about the case in a way to bring knowledge, to to educate. And these people are doing it specifically for clout and views. And somebody who's not familiar with, you know, podcasts or YouTube, they're going to look at that and say, oh, this is what these like crime online crime sleuths are doing. This is how they behave. I don't want to have anything to do with that. And it's going to cause damage to the true crime community, the ones who are actually doing it for the right reasons. So it's just all all pretty bad. But I don't mind if they stand in the lawn with pictures of Gabby and they're like shouting justice for Gabby. That's a protest. That's you're allowed to do that. But when you're when you're doing it for the wrong reasons, maybe not. Yeah. And we know that the people we're talking about is less than one percent of the community, but they they do represent us in a lot of ways when they're out there. And so I think it's on us to police them as well and to not condone it because when the next one happens and it will, this will be something that's more prevalent because they saw what happened with Gabby's case. So we don't want to set this precedent where people feel like, hey, these people might know something. Let's go get it out of them because what will happen is, again, some people will take this uh, very personal, right? They get very attached to this case. And if the justice system isn't moving fast enough for them, what you will find is someone will decide Maybe someone who's not mentally stable will decide to take the law in their own hands and serve justice on the lawn of the house. And I don't want to see that happen because everyone deserves their day in court. And if the laundries are, you know, even though Brian is no longer with us, if it's determined by police that the laundries basically committed obstruction of justice, right? If they can prove that, I do believe they will charge them. Whether they can prove that or not will be very difficult because they didn't say much. Um, But I do think if they, if they can prove it to the level that the law would support, I think they will make an example out of them and and charge them with, at, mini- at, at minimum, obstruction of justice. Yeah, and I mean, you already have the mainstream media talking shit about, you know, people like you and I who do this stuff on YouTube. The mainstream media is constantly talking down about us, and this makes it worse. And the fact of the matter is this vigilante thing, it's cool. It sounds cool. It's only effective in movies. Otherwise, you look like a clown, basically. Yeah, we ain't yeah. Batman. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> Same. But uh, we're going to we're gonna discuss something we didn't know when we first started this series. And it's so funny because I saw so many comments where they were like, uh, did you guys know Brian's dead? Like, 
Why are you talking about? Yeah. And I'm like, dude, do you think we we freaking record this and post it within five minutes? You know, like, give us a break. I was so agitated. But we didn't know when we started the series that Brian was no longer alive. Um, turns out he wasn't hiding out in South America or in someone's bomb shelter or, you know, pulling a pita from the Hunger Games and covering himself in mud so that he could be camouflaged in the wilderness and evade the search for him in the Carlton Reserve. He was dead, and authorities believe that he probably had been that way since shortly after he disappeared. So the police have come out at this point and said once he left the house on the 13th, September 13th, they don't think that he was really out there for very long. They think that he probably took his own life, and he probably did it within just a few days of leaving the house. Yeah, and I think what we're going to learn is at that point, Chris and Roberta were probably a little bit more cooperative in the sense where some of the conversations or some of the comments that Brian was making in the house before he left were suggested that he was going to kill himself. I'm assuming he was probably making comments like, like I said earlier in this episode, you know, I'm going to kill myself. There's no way out of this. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to effing kill myself and I'm just going to end it for everybody. I don't want you guys going through it. Chris and Roberto were probably trying to calm him down. And even though they made their best attempts, he still left. So couple that with the fact that they found his vehicle at the Carlton Reserve. I think now we know why the FBI and the local police were spending so much time there because they knew the conversations that were taking place before Brian left, although they didn't put that out publicly. Yeah. But I mean, like when I couldn't answer the question earlier, would, would I protect my child if this happened? I can answer this question. I would not have let my son leave. I would have knocked his ass out somehow and then turned him in because honestly, I'd rather have him in prison serving time and, and facing justice for what he did than dead. Right. Yeah. And it sounds like that's kind of what happened here, which is, well, not that they stopped him, but at first when he was alive, they were their decision was, we're going to protect our mm-hmm. son. We're not going to go out there. We're not going to lie and get ourselves in trouble. We're just not going to say allegedly. anything. We're not going to respond. Yeah. Allegedly. Well, we do know they didn't respond to get Nicole's texts. So that is you know, an, a passive way yes. of not cooperating. I agree, but Stephen so Bertolino they, has made it very clear that the Laundries have known nothing. They never knew anything. They know nothing. They're completely innocent. They're completely in the dark. So allegedly, we think that they knew something. Right. And even if they didn't know the specifics, even if they didn't know that he strangled her, even if he had painted the picture that an accident had occurred, they made the decision not Mm -hmm. to speak to Gabby's family, not to speak to police. And so that was while Brian was alive. However, once they felt like he was going to harm himself, suddenly they became very cooperative with police as far as like, hey, this is what he said to us before he left. This is where we think he might be going. We already found his car over here because yeah, but I the think timing was, for, was very well. I think it was for self-serving reasons, right? They were trying to find their son, hoping he was still alive, and they were using the police to assist in that search. That's the only reason they were helping. At that point, they felt like their son was going to hurt himself, and they were hoping that the police could find him before he did. Well authorities had initially focused their search for Brian mainly in that vast Carlton Reserve, and they searched there for quite a while. But days passed, and then weeks, without any sign of him, and the pressure on Chris and Roberta Laundry to speak up about what they knew, it kept going up. An arrest warrant for Brian was issued by the state of Wyoming on September 22nd for unauthorized use of Gabby's debit card. And on September 27th, Stephen Bertolino told the media that the Laundries had no knowledge of where their son was saying, quote, they are concerned about Brian and hope the FBI can locate him. 
The speculation by the public and some in the press that the parents assisted Brian in leaving the family home or in avoiding arrest on a warrant that was issued after Brian had already been missing several days is just wrong. End quote. See, I, and by the way, I agree with everything he's saying there because he, it's easy for him to say that because that part is true where they did not assist him in fleeing the area. Right. They didn't assist him in trying to escape to Mexico. But he doesn't say here or does he say at some point, maybe I'm, you're going to get there or maybe we're just you know, we don't have it in here. But did he ever say that the the laundries had no knowledge of of what happened to Gabby? Yeah, initially when when it was just Gabby missing. Then that's what I'm saying okay. here. Like it's very, okay. it's he's calculated what he's very, saying. He's yeah, he's saying. very careful when he says they had no knowledge of where Brian was, and they which I believe. they didn't help him avoid an arrest on a warrant, but yep, they believe that but as they well. may have known that Gabby was dead, and they may have helped him. <laughs> they may have helped <laughs> right. him avoid arrest. For her murder. So great job, Stephen Bertolino, man. I got to take his number down. I got to call him if I ever get in trouble. No, please don't. <laughs> please don't. I'm not a fan. Personally, I'm just not a fan. He's like a um, Jose Baez to me at this point. You know, very, just, very calculated. Just not as yeah, good. Well, I don't know, man. He he could he could get better. <laughs> I don't know. I, either way, he's calculated in what he's saying and what he's not saying. And I do think there is a lot of truth to what he's saying in this quote, which is, you know, they might have known more going into it, which is why they didn't return Nicole's calls, right? But at this point, when Brian made the decision to leave, that was his decision alone. If they had it their way, he wouldn't have left for the reasons you laid out earlier, which as a parent, you have an intuition, you know the way your son or daughter is speaking, that they're going to do something that's out of character for who they are. You're trying to prevent that. And uh, despite their pleas for him to stay, he left. And they were assuming the worst. So at that point, they were very cooperative with the FBI. Hey, this is what he said. This is where, you know, this is where we found his car. Because again, what I was saying earlier, they were hoping that the FBI would be able to find him before he, you know, killed himself. I have a little bit of a different perspective on it, but I, I'm going to get it. into that as we go through this next part. Because okay. on October 20th, 2021, the FBI found what appeared to be human remains in Mayakadhachi Park. That's an area of Carlton Reserve. The fact that you said that name right is so Did impressive because I'm reading it right now. And I, I don't know if you said it right, but it's damn, it sounded That's like what it. it looks like, okay? <laughs> I mean, it, it, you, that's impressive. I live in New York, so we have a lot of those kinds of names around here. That's impressive. I was like, there's no way she's pronouncing this one correctly. I and just threw it out, Then man. you said it. And I'm like- Went from my brain to my mouth with very little thought. <laughs> fair play. Fair play. So so we heard that near the remains, there were found items that belonged to Brian Laundry. Now, initially, we heard that there was a backpack and a notebook. Apparently, there was a third bag, what they called a dry bag. Do you know what that is? Do they mean a dry bag or do they mean a bag that keeps things dry? <laughs> yeah, no, they mean the things that me keep uh, a bag that keeps things dry. Basically, it's water. It's waterproof. Anything you put inside of it, whether it's clothes, whether it's something, you know, paper. Campers carry this. It's interesting where you'll keep. You'll keep it. So even if there's a flood or even if you're in a tent and the bottom of the tent gets soaked, if there are valuables that cannot get wet, that's what you would keep them in. Wow. I believe to I'm going out on a limb here. The photo that we all see, the infamous photo of the bag that Chris is carrying looks like that a dry is bag because Chris is the one that. Well, we're going to get to that. All right. Yeah, but we'll, we'll get there. But that is what a, it's completely. That's what it it can completely be zip sealed. Yes. And there's no, you can dump it in a bucket of water and all the contents inside will remain dry. So the weird thing to me, man, and we talked about this, but the weird thing to me is the park had been reopened to the public the day before. It was closed for like 30 days. They reopened it. And then it appears that 
Brian's parents decided they were going to go back out and continue to search for him. And it was Chris and Roberto Laundry who eventually directed authorities to the spot where his remains were found, almost as if they knew where they were going. Now, Chris Laundry had previously been involved with searches for, for Brian, so it's not like this is the first time he decided to go out and look for his son. I don't want anybody to think that. I don't want to make it seem like I'm saying that. He had been searching for like a week for Brian previously. But the timing of the park being reopened, almost like law enforcement was sort of giving up hope on finding him. Like they said, you know, we're going to continue the search. But the fact that you had the park closed and now you're reopening it, it kind of makes it seem like we've been looking a long time. We haven't found him. We can't keep this park closed forever. And then the next day, Brian's parents go out to search and they find his remains fairly quickly. It's odd. Many people have speculated that the laundries knew where Brian had been the whole time and that they had made some kind of deal with the authorities like, will tell you where he is in exchange for something else like immunity. The Laundry family attorney disputed this. Uh, Stephen Bertolino said, quote, there was no deal. There were certainly conversations as one would expect to happen in every criminal case. You always have conversations with the prosecutors, but no deal was cut. The Laundries have been cooperating with law enforcement, both locally and federally, since day one with respect to Brian, end quote. So once again, we have Stephen Bertolino pulling out some creative, careful language because I don't know how true that statement is. But I like how he tacked on at the end with respect to Brian, because we certainly know that it would be an outright lie to claim that the Laundry family had been cooperating with authorities since day one when it came to Gabby. Right. So apparently the reason authorities had not located Brian's remains earlier in their search is because they claimed that the area he was found in had been underwater and inaccessible. Now, Gabby's family do not think that the laundries have been in the dark this whole time. Nicole Schmidt told 60 Minutes Australia, quote, I think silence speaks volumes. I believe they know probably, if not everything, they know most of the information. I would love to just face to face ask why. Why are you doing this? Just tell me the truth. End quote. So let's take a quick break and then we're going to come back and talk about why the Laundry family seemed to know where Brian was. So here's how it apparently went down. The Laundries called the police on the evening of October 19th and informed them that they would be searching for Brian in the park the next day. And they asked if the police would accompany them on this search. But the police had already been in that park for the past 33 days. So it's weird that once the park reopened to the public, the Laundries were like, you know, let us take a shot at this now. But we want you to be there. Florida State Attorney David Arenberg feels that the Laundries would have been motivated to find their son in order to build up goodwill with law enforcement. And they knew if they went there and they found Brian or his belongings alone, it, they never would have been believed that they'd sort of just stumbled upon it. People would have thought that they'd put that stuff there themselves. Ehrenberg said, quote, the Laundry family don't want to be an accessory after the fact. It may help them avoid criminal charges down the line. End quote. Mm hmm. Is what we're saying earlier. But yep. get this. Within minutes, minutes of being in the park, Chris Laundry found that dry bag that belonged to Brian. Just Freaking minutes, man. I can't take it. <laughs> and yes, the area may have been underwater during much of the search, but they had gone through that area with cadaver dogs and canine experts, or they were at least going through the reserve or that, that park area with canine dogs and cadaver dogs. And canine experts believe that these dogs would still have been able to sniff out Brian's remains, even if they were underwater, if law enforcement had been through that area. So it looks like they, they really probably didn't go through that area. And it was reported that Brian's remains were found under a foot of water. 
but it, it's a very isolated area. Like this isn't an area where people go to camp or hike. It's out of the way. The notebook recovered appears to be salvageable, according to public information officer Josh Taylor. And so I wonder if that notebook may have been in the dry bag. I mean, if that's the case, that's yeah. huge. And 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 it, and going back to the dry bag, a notebook would be the type of thing that you would keep in a dry bag because if that gets wet even once, it's basically destroyed. But it isn't just the Internet sleuths who think that the whole discovery of Brian's remains thing is suspicious. Former NYPD chief of detectives Robert Boyce told CNN, quote, the day the park reopens, they go into the specific area, they go to the exact spot, and they find the backpack and identify the backpack, from what I understand, and the notebook in this particular area. So it's quite strange, end quote. Like I said, this is a remote location where Brian was found, not well-traveled, not known for camping or hiking. There's gators all over the place. But this also was apparently an area that Roberta and Chris advised authorities to look for Brian. And Stephen Bertolino claims it was an area they knew Brian had frequented. So... This is what Stephen Bertolino says. So I'm going to use his own words since he's always so careful. If that's the case, Stephen Bertolino, why hadn't they told law enforcement about this special secret area of Brian's 30 days earlier? Why did they let the taxpayers' money be poured into a search if they had in their back pocket a potential location that Brian could have been in that hadn't already been searched? Now, I suspect this is my personal opinion. They may have been in contact with Brian somehow, maybe using burner phones it was reported that Brian purchased a new phone within days of returning to Florida without Gabby. He opened an AT&T account on September 4th, and then 10 days later, he went to Carlton Reserve and he never came back. Stephen Bertolino says this was not a burner phone. It was just a new phone, which is fine. But I think this suggests that he was trying to avoid being contacted by friends and family who were asking questions about Gabby, which is suspicious and shady and shitty all on its own. Now, this still doesn't mean he didn't have a burner phone of some kind or a way of making contact with his parents. And in my opinion, he went out there to hike. He didn't come back, but he was still in contact with them for much of this time. But maybe after several days of not hearing from him, they realized what had happened, that maybe he took his own life and that they would actually now be leading authorities to their son who was no longer alive, not their son who was alive and ready to be arrested. Yeah. So there's a lot to unpack right there. And I'm going to start with. And again, this is nothing against anybody personally, but as we talk about experts in, in courts, prosecutors and defense attorneys will interview multiple experts to, and find the expert that aligns with what they're trying to promote, what they're trying, the story they're trying to tell. And what's more salacious, the idea that uh, the laundries knew all along where Brian was and kept this information from them and they knew that day when they went out there, they were going to be able to find his items or... Um, plant those items there right under the noses of law enforcement. Is that more salacious or is it the fact that like they weren't really assisting police initially because there was a possibility Brian was still alive and they didn't want to contribute to the apprehension of their son. And then as you just said, now, once they realized that more than likely he was dead, it wasn't about helping the police. It was about locating their son. Um, what's more, what's going to get more headlines? What's going to get more clicks? So the reason I say that, is when it comes to Fox News, CNN, there's been a lot of law enforcement experts on all of these shows that will come out and say, yeah, this is too much of a coincidence that they found him that day. And they're not wrong. And they probably truly feel that way. But I'm just saying, you know, you'll get you're going to get a million different people who have been in law enforcement saying different things. My take is it's what it looks like, which is they weren't cooperative. 
And then once they realized he probably killed himself, they were. The only question I have is if the water was receding, why not wait a few extra days to let that water recede so that you could search that area before opening it up to the public? Um, and as you said earlier, I do think they contacted law enforcement because they were like, listen, if we go out there and we happen to find something and we do know this would be true, no one, including me, would believe that they just happened to walk upon it. And even with the police being there, we're right. still we still have a large <laughs> portion of the population who's saying still don't believe it. There's no because you know, it doesn't they make must any carried, sense, man. Like it, it's so it's weird. weird. And I agree. I'm, I I admit that it's like what a coincidence. But is it possible that it went down that way? Is it possible as because here's the thing, and I said this to you on the phone when we were talking. They did find the dry bag, I believe. But then law enforcement. Yeah, Brian's dad found the dry bag and then then a police officer found the book bag. But it was right there. Right. So the dry bag's there and then the book bag's like there and then the remains are there. They're all like very close to each other. So but they couldn't have planted it all. No, I don't. I don't. I definitely don't think they they planted it. I did go over that theory. Like, is it possible they planted it? I think it's more likely not saying this happened that they had gone looking for him previously because we know they did found him left and that's why they knew exactly where to go don't tell me this out of the way isolated area that nobody camps in or hikes in is a super secret spot of brian's that he likes to go to and, and you did mention this to me as well and, and i think my response was and again i'm just giving devil's advocate here i think it would be very difficult although they've proven they and <laughs> they do have a tendency to screw this up based on the scrutiny that the protesters the reporters and law enforcement were putting the under the laundries I find it very difficult to believe that those two individuals left their home at any point and weren't followed to the Carlton Reserve where they located Brian's body without anybody. All right, noticing. Check it out. OK, give me the give me the scenario in which that check happens. it out. Brian leaves on September 13th. Right. Doesn't right. come back. Yes. His parents go find the car. Where's Brian? Yep. This is way before the majority of the protesters are outside their house because nobody even freaking knows Brian's missing yet. No one's right. following the laundries where they're going. They were able to go to Carlton Reserve, bring his car back. Nobody followed them there. What if so you think what if at that point already? they go looking for him, found out he was dead, but obviously at this point they're not trying to, you know, raise the alarm yet. But it was only after the massive amounts of protesters were like throwing laundry baskets at their yard and knocking on their door and just harassing them incessantly. I mean, Brian's mother called the police on Dog the Bounty Hunter. You know, like this is obviously grating on them at this point. It's really getting on their nerves. It's getting under their skin. I I think that they, if they didn't find him before, they definitely knew where to look. Don't tell me within minutes. The FBI's been there for over a month. You walk in the park within minutes. What, Brian? When did you get here? Let's entertain that theory because I think something there, there's some substance to that. Because, okay, let's say I agree with you. Let's say they went there immediately after they found the vehicle and they find Brian and he's dead. And from what you said earlier, even though they didn't go out and look per the lawyer, they can't find him, right? They they advised them to go to the law enforcement to go to that area. And maybe law enforcement didn't. They advised them to go just now when he was found. Again, initially. So, okay, but maybe... When they were saying, hey, he's probably at the Carlton Reserve. We found his car there. They're sitting at home, not wanting to be the ones to find Brian because that would be suspicious. So they had already found him. Let's say you're right. They found him. They know where he is. They're trying to direct them in the general vicinity, hoping law enforcement will find them on, you know, find him on their own without them. 
They don't. But now they still have these protesters and these reporters sitting on their lawn because, and they know where Brian is. And the search is so continuing, decide, right? So they think he's, they're going to find him at some point over this next month. Right, right. So at, so finally, Chris and Roberta are sitting in the house going, they're about to open up they're the park. They're about to open up the park. <laughs> we better <laughs> do not something. Find him. So you know what? Guess what, Roberta? We're going to have to go do it for him. And they call law enforcement and say, hey, we don't know if you guys want to come or not. But we're going to go to the park tomorrow mm-hmm. and we're going to look for Brian. We know you guys are great at what you do, but we have a couple spots we want to check. A couple spots and we haven't told you right, about previously. Right. A couple spots we haven't told you about or we directed you there and you just didn't go. So we're going to go find it ourselves. And and maybe that would explain why they found it so quick. Minutes, uh, so Derek, I do think, within freaking minutes. <laughs> yeah, minutes. So they go there and they, and they, and they find themselves. I can't them, so. even take, I mean, is that plausible? Yeah. There's no goddamn way that Chris and Roberta Laundrie stepped foot in Carlton Reserve on that day, not knowing where they were going, not having an idea of where they were heading. That's an issue. I don't care if they they talk to FBI and the police eventually after Brian had been gone missing for a couple of days. I don't care. And I I would hope that that would not prevent them from having some sort of charges if that's true in the future, because they should be charged if that's the case. All the all this freaking searches. How much did it cost? I forget the exact amount it cost, but they said millions, millions to search. Oh, yeah. For the. so all those all the overtime, for, not only for for Brian, but for Gabby. So Brian knew where Gabby was, could have saved everybody the time and money. And then he disappears. And let's say his parents knew where he was. Now you can save those people some more time and money. But instead, they just let this happen. And it's it's unacceptable. Mm-hmm. So something to keep in mind for all of you out there, because we have mentioned a few times that they could be charged morally and ethically. We already I think most people are on the same page from a legal standpoint. They would have to prove that they deliberately lied to investigators, which isn't always the easiest thing in the world to do. Um, because a lot of the times they were either very vague about what they were saying to law enforcement or they were going through their, or they were saying nothing at all. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so, and, and multiple people have pointed this out, you know, if they can prove that they lied to a federal agent, well, obviously that's a crime, but they would have to be able to prove that there's something specific that they told law enforcement and they're able to prove in a court of law. That's not true. Which, again, is going to be difficult to do. So I don't know if they'll be charged, but I think we can all agree based on the behavior of Chris and Roberta and how quick they found him after all these things, right? You start to put it together, very circumstantial, but at minimum, they were they were not being completely forthright with police, in our opinion. Yeah. I would say definitely not. So how did Brian Laundry die? The strongest theory is that he specifically went out into wilderness for the purposes of taking his own life. The remains found in the park were identified as Brian Laundrie through dental records very quickly, actually. Uh, But the autopsy came back inconclusive, so no manner or cause of death was determined. Stephen Bertolino said, quote, Brian, to my knowledge, was never, quote, suicidal. And ultimately, he was in a bad state of mind when he left. Chris conveyed that to me, end quote. So the remains have been sent to an anthropologist for further evaluation. And this is really interesting to me because I've recently gotten into learning about isotopes and isotope testing. Forensics has come such a long way to the fact, you know, to the point where you can like test somebody's bones and teeth and find out things they've eaten, areas they've been, like where they where they were born, stuff like that. So I wonder if they're going to test Brian's bones or teeth to see if he had ingested certain substances that may have been responsible for his death because, you know, maybe he purposely overdosed because if they can't figure out what his cause of death is, that means 
probably not a gunshot wound, right? And and I mean, how? Yeah, if they only recovered a skull yeah. and there's no sign of, uh, you know, any type of entry or exit wound. Yeah. So, I mean, th- that does seem, especially for somebody like Brian, who doesn't like to take responsibility for things and seems to uh, want to run away from everything, overdosing might might have been the best thing. And I did ask you, I was like, is there any chance he was maybe like sleeping you know, on the ground and then just a gator like lunged out of the water and grabbed him up and pulled him back in. And you were like, probably not. (laughs) Not especially for a guy who knows the area, knows what to do, what not to do, where to sleep, where not to sleep. He might have been under a substance that inhibited his his decision making process where maybe he was drugged out and maybe not trying to kill himself, but just didn't care and, you know, committed an error that resulted in his death. That's possible. But I don't think he was just completely sober and with all the experience he has with living in the woods, just, you know, made a huge mistake on that particular case. Yeah, if he had taken a bunch of drugs. Yeah, that would completely alter his, ju- you know, decision-making process. Yeah. Uh, the notebook that was found, it was taken to an FBI lab, and experts are now trying to uh, recover writing, ink marks, and potential fingerprints on it. But we have no idea what was written in it, if anything was written in it. I assume that something probably was written in it, because why have a notebook if you're not going to write in it? But... We have no idea, but I'm sure one day we will find out. Um, Where does that leave us now? Well, according to Joseph Giacolom, who's a retired NYPD sergeant, the case will probably be closed with many questions left unanswered. Now that authorities have positively identified Brian's remains, um, he expects the case to end as an exceptional clearance, meaning that even if police suspect Brian killed Gabby, the investigation will end. Giacolom said, quote, because he's dead, they can't do anything about it, end quote. And I hate to reiterate what he's saying, but he's right. You know, at this point, there's no other suspects based on Gabby's autopsy, based on Brian's behavior afterwards, based on the fact that it does appear he may have killed himself. uh, It does appear that this was a homicide committed by Brian. And as much as we would like to keep this going to get the exact details of what happened that day, those details died with Gabby and Brian. And so there's not much more you can do. And it does become something from a law enforcement perspective where there are many other cases out there that are unsolved right now and still have the potential to be solved and have someone account- held accountable for their actions. So to devote too many more hours, too many more resources to trying to find answers that we may never never be able to ascertain, it's 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 counterproductive. Um, so I, w- I do want to address something that I've seen in the comment section on the previous two videos. Um, just because I I think it's kind of funny and I want to get your take on it. I've seen comments. I don't I, th- I wonder if it's like the laundries in, in our comment section, because some of these comments, I'm like, how could you say this? But I've seen comments where people are like, leave Brian alone. <laughs> it's possible he did nothing wrong. And so I would really like to. It's also possible that I'm Santa Claus. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Like, come on. Anything is possible. Right. But stop. Just stop. This is ludicrous. It's ludicrous to me that that anybody would even say that, because besides all all we already know, him coming back, the fight in Moab, like all the stuff that led up to him coming back to Florida. But then he he takes his own life. Even his own family hasn't come out and said, Brian didn't kill Gabby. When Cassie was directly asked, I know we don't have it in here, you know, do you think your brother killed Gabby? She said, I don't she know. She said she's trying to get him to, to talk about it. She was trying to <laughs> yeah. pull something out of him. But he had, he, yes. Yeah. So I don't know. She was like, I don't know. I mean, she didn't say no, he, there's no way. So, I mean, listen, sometimes 
Again, reasonable deduction. You know, two plus two equals four. Yeah. Why would simple. he take his own life? And I mean, there's, there's also going to be people now who are like, well, you don't know if he took his own life. You know, there's there's all these crazy conspiracy theories. Some people say that, and like, listen, I love conspiracy theories, but like these be crazy. Some people say that his father went out there and got in a fight with him. Is like, you need to come back and face justice. And Brian was like, no. And then his father like lunged at him and killed him. Some people say that like Gabby's father went out and found him, killed him, you know, um, there was something something else I saw that said, said uh he he ran across some like pirate camper in the woods or something like a a bandit and then the bandit killed him. So I can't I can't I can't mess with any of that guys. Don't forget the other What's one. What's the other one? The FBI, the FBI found him somewhere else and put him back. The there, most so. likely out of all of them. <laughs> <laughs> and then put his his bones there and said, "Hey, Chris. I mean, look over the there. The FBI's done." The FBI's done some things in, in their time. Oh, God, that, here we that, go. Here that wouldn't go. make me surprised. But that that's probably the most likely out of all of them because I don't see Brian's own father killing him. I don't see Joe yeah. Petito not getting answers publicly from Brian and bringing closure and justice to his daughter and just killing this kid. I just yeah. don't see any of that happening. He definitely took his own life. They said when he left the house, he was in an agitated state. They wanted to stop him. They wouldn't have wanted to stop him if he was just like, hey, guys, I'm going out on a nice hike. I'll see you soon. They clearly knew he was upset about something. He went out there. Yeah. He took his own life. If he was innocent, why would he take his own life? Because he would just assume at the end of the day, even if he gets arrested, even if he gets put on trial, that the evidence is going to show his innocence. So he would right. well, he would probably want to bank more on that than death. There's no there's no doubt even in my give, mind that he did this. I would even give more credence to that theory if it wasn't determined that she was strangled. She was killed by another human being. And and there's no evidence that she was with any other person besides Brian Laundry. Um just to put a you know, to wrap this up for me, without kind of going over all the points that we've laid out over these three parts. There were clear spots where it appeared Gabby and Brian's relationship was very tumultuous, unhealthy. And I hope, you know, if Gabby's family is listening to this, there's a lot of things that we can't answer. We covered the case based on the facts and circumstances, and we've already kind of given our opinions on what we think happened. We believe Brian killed Gabby, panicked, drove back to Florida, talked to mom and dad, trying to find if there was a way out of it, realized very quickly that it wasn't going to go away and decided to take his own life. That's our opinion. But what we can learn from this, because we may not get the answer to what happened that day, although we can kind of surmise based on what we know, is that people out there love you, whether it might feel like you have someone, you know, that's, you know, the closest person to you, whether that's your boyfriend or girlfriend. If Gabby's parents had known what was going on, I'm sure they would have stepped in and helped her. Feel free to speak to your family. Feel free to speak to your loved ones. Feel free to speak to your friends. Get advice from others, whether it's from us or someone else, and, and do what you know in your heart is right. Get out. Don't try to fix the person. When they show you who they are, believe them and remove yourself from that situation as hard as it may be. Because although it may not get to this point, you don't want to be there to find out. Because in the moment when Gabby realized what Brian was capable of, it's too late. it was too, too late. late. And we don't want to see that happen to you. So if you take anything from these three parts, please take that. Because the story that I read today, as far as the person on Instagram who was touched by Stephanie's story, that's why we do this. So the fact that it affected one person for me is already enough, but we want it to affect others as well in the same way. Thank you guys so much for joining us for this series. Uh, I'm glad we did it. I really am. I think I have a better understanding now 
um, than I did before. And it's just sad overall. I do honestly feel bad for the Laundry family because they, they did lose their son. And I really can't judge a parent for trying to protect their child. I still don't think I think they should have to pay for the searches at the very least. I think that they should have to reimburse the taxpayers of Florida and Wyoming for those searches if it comes out that they knew more than they said. But, you know, I think that they've they probably suffered quite a bit at this point. And now they're trying to mourn their son, um, who is a monster to us, but still their child to them. They're trying to mourn their son while there's still protesters outside of their house screaming at them, throwing things at their window. And I really think that you're entitled to your opinion, but step back and give these people be human because humans are good and evil. Humans have a mixture of everything in them. But as a human, you should step back and let another human grieve the death of their of their child. Thank you guys so much for being here. We will see you next time. Until then, let us know what you think. Make sure you comment on the YouTube video. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, go to our our website. Yeah. Go to our website, <laughs> crimeweeklypodcast.com. That's where you can get our merch. You can leave us a speak pipe so we can rock it yeah, right now. Undercover pineapple. Rock my pineapple. Favorite, my fave. You can you can mm-hmm. get the merch. You can talk to us. You can kind of see um case suggestions. case suggestions, what we're up to. And don't forget to follow us on social media and subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already. If you're listening on audio, go ahead and just subscribe to YouTube anyways, because it would help us out and we'd love you for it. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you soon. Bye. Take care.